This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers audio experience with myself, Adam Strong, and welcome to today's show. And today, on today's show, we have another amazing guest. Uh, he's actually been in my circle for probably the best part of about two and a half years. Uh, he is, his name is called Stephen Carter. He's an award-winning IP strategist and a bloody good one too, because he's also one of my clients and uh, we do a lot of great collaborations. He's also a best-selling author. I forgot to mention that. We'll talk about that towards the end as well. And uh, he's also got a, a podcast, which has just come out called Rugby Balls and Stethoscopes. You're probably thinking rugby balls and stethoscopes. What, what the hell is that all about? We'll talk about the podcast during the interview today. But what we're going to be talking about today, guys, is we're going to be talking about why is it that we need to protect our intellectual property? What is intellectual property? What are the pitfalls? What are the upfalls? Upfalls, uh, pitfalls, <laughs> upfalls. Why is it that we need to have IP in our lives? Why is it that we need to value IP in our, in our lives? Now, if you're going to also, we're going to be talking a little bit about if you're looking to resale or you're going to look at increasing the value of your company, what are investors looking for from an IP perspective as well? So without further ado, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Good to see you. Likewise, likewise, likewise. Very I've got, good. I've got, to, I've got to correct you on one point before we get going. Which Go for is it. That the, the podcast is stethoscopes and rugby balls, not rugby oh. balls and stethoscopes. You see, I I knew I, I knew I'd get it wrong. <laughs> I'd, I'd always kind of I thought, I, do you know what? The rugby ball sounds sounds kind of cool, but then <laughs> but then it's like uh, I, I, anyway. But okay, guys. So stethoscopes and rugby balls. Okay, let's just get that correctly. Okay, good. So we have got the polit politically correct saying out the way. That's all good. Make sure you check that out on. Uh, you're on Apple, right? Apple, Google. Yeah, on Apple and Spotify and, and Google and um yeah and, and the website stethoscopes and rugby balls dot uk. Perfect. Awesome. So make sure you go check out that, guys. All right. Well, listen, welcome to the show. Great to have you on here. What I was going to say to you, I, I know that sort of the IP kind of arena, I remember us talking, having conversations offline about this, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of what I call myths around IP, where there certainly were a lot of false perceptions of what IP really is in a business and stuff like that. But could you just give us a synopsis about what is intellectual property? What do we, what should entrepreneurs and business owners look for when it comes to IP? Yeah, sure. And, and, and I think you're right. There are, there's a lot of misconceptions. Um, and there's also, I guess, there's a lot of people that as soon as they hear intellectual property, the first thing they think is patents. Yeah. And then they think expensive. And then they think, oh no, that's not something for me. And, and right. that's, that's just not wrong. Yes, patent part of it. And yes, they're a really important part of it but they're not for everyone. And IP is so much broader than that. Um, and I guess the starting point and, and the thing I try and, uh, you know, evangelize about, I suppose, is that if, if you're innovating, if you're an innovative business and you're innovating, then you are, as a matter of fact, creating intellectual property. That is right. intellectual property is the output from innovation. So, you know, and, and it's things like if you're, if you're writing software code, if you're, 
coming up with new brand collateral, if you're um, recording podcasts, if you're recording video, if you're um, developing new um, processes that you're working with with your coaching clients, if you're um, designing new products, um, all, all of these things, all of this innovation creates what I like to think of as intellectual property assets. So, you know, the software code is an asset. Each one of those bits of brand collateral, so the logo, the brand name, um, the materials that go with it, each one of those is, a, is a, an intellectual property asset. And that asset, those assets, that collection of assets are really the, the underpinnings of the value in, in any business and you know, along, alongside <clears throat> the people and, and you know, their relationships. Got it, got it. Now, does this also include things like uh, website copy? Does it also include things like brochures and, and, and things like that? Absolutely, absolutely. So we, we'll, we'll probably get into this a bit more, but so one thing you have to do is draw a distinction between what I refer to as the intellectual property assets. So they're the kind of things, they're the, they're the creations from your mind or from the mind of people working with you. And then the protection that goes alongside those. So again, when people think about intellectual property, they they often are very focused on the protection and they forget that the starting point is actually what's the stuff that's being created that we might want to protect. Um, but you're right, any of that, you know, the, the website copy is a creation from your mind and it has value to your business because it's it's part of promoting your business. Um, and that that is protected, for example, with copyright. Yeah. Um, so you've got the asset and then the protection that goes alongside it. Very good. Awesome. Tell me, because um, I know that we talked very, just, just a second ago around kind of the myths around IP and stuff like that. And you already kind of mentioned about the fact that, you know, if you, if you, if you think of like, you know, patterns or trademarks, you think of maybe big multi-billion Fortune 500 companies like Coca-Cola or McDonald's thinking, how the hell am I going to afford a trademark or whatever it is, right? But let's talk a look because I know that intellectual property. I mean, it's it's quite a big, it's 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 quite a big thing, isn't it? I mean, you 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 mainly focus here on patents, trademarks, innovations, those types of things. But let's talk a little bit about like what are some of the common myths that entrepreneurs and business owners may or may not think when it comes to investing in IP? And then we can also, I, I mean, I know. We can also what we'll also like to talk a little. What I'd like to also talk about is to get into the nitty gritty bits of some of the common mistakes that a lot of these entrepreneurs and business owners make because of their, should we say, ignorance? Okay, because of what they think IP is and IP is or isn't. What's your thoughts there? Um, I think you're right. So in terms of myths, I guess one one of the one of the big myths that I work hard to try and dispel. Is that um, is that IP intellectual property is just for the big boys? So it's that point you made. You know, when people yeah. think about IP, whether it's whether it's the brand side of things, and they're thinking about the Coca Colas of this world, or um, or they're thinking about the technology side of things, and they're thinking about um, you know the, the Googles and the Apples and the Teslas, and yeah, they, yeah, they, yes, they do IP because they're big and they can afford it. Yeah. Um, but that, but that is a, is a complete myth. I mean, as I said said earlier if you're innovating and there's there's a you know a ton of really small startups and smes that their their whole lifeblood is innovation that's what they that's what they're there to do and and they're creating ip and it's it's you know the, the myth that needs dispelling is that 
is that IP and IP protection and IP strategy isn't relevant to them because it is. Mm. And, and actually the sooner that you start thinking as a, as a small business or, or a startup about intellectual property strategy, the better, because there's a that will put in place the right foundations and um, without having to invest too much cash, but putting in place the right foundations to set yourself up so that when you, you do get funding or you get your second round of funding, um, you're in the right place to then be able to start protecting those innovations. Um, and and you know, some of the things that go wrong in, in that scenario is simple things like um, if you want to preserve the possibility of protecting your innovation with patents, let's take one example, so that's going to be relevant to a lot of technology businesses, yep. Yep. whether that's kind of software tech or, or harder tech, you know, sort of, I do quite a lot of work, as you know, in the in the medical technology, so sort of medical device and digital health world, um, and clearly patents are relevant there. Um, but if you're going to preserve the opportunity to get yourself a patent, it's really critical that you keep your uh, the details of your technology secret, um, and just having some simple rules in place for the people you're working with, so they understand that secrecy is important. Um, can really help at that point. And, and that, yeah, having having a simple rule in place that says, keep this stuff secret, that's part of an IP strategy. And um, so this myth that IP strategy and, and IP generally is for, for bigger businesses is, is just totally wrong. Um, the, the other, one, one of the other big mistakes and one of the biggest areas that, that I think trip smaller companies up when it comes to IP is around the whole ownership piece. So, Again, you know, I think when, when people talk about IP, they, they immediately focus on the protection side of things, which, which to me is very much the icing on the cake. You know, yes, if the budget's there, you want to be protecting and you want to be putting in place solid protection. But, but much more important than that, in my view, and the starting point, and if you like the base foundation for all of this, is making sure you own this stuff in the first place. Um, and you might think, well, isn't that just, yeah, it's obvious. I've, I'm creating it. My business is creating it. These people are creating it for me. Surely, surely I own it. <clears throat> but, but that's, unfortunately, that's not the way that the IP laws around the world work in all cases. Um, so take, take the very simple case where um, you're using uh, a, a software house to write some code for you. Um, and, you know, and clearly that's, that's relevant to a lot of small businesses this day because you know, software and innovation is is at the heart of a lot of businesses. Yeah. Um, unless you have the right contract in place with that software house, what the law says is that the default is that that software house, rather than you or your business, will own the copyright in that software. So they basically have control of that software. Yeah. Um, and the same the same thing applies, um, which should be relevant to, to even, an even broader cross-section of, of your listeners. Um, if you think about branding collateral so an awful lot of people work with branding agencies or they work with designers yep. to create to create their logos to create their their brand names and to create uh, you know the other materials you're talking about their websites their brochures and the the ip so, so all of these ip assets the ip right that gives you the control over those in, in nearly all cases is going to be copyright and again that copyright the, the, the way the law is written, the starting point is that copyright sits with the person who's created the assets. So the brand agency or the marketing agency in this yep. case. Now, a, a lot of the time, you know, you're working with good 
honest branding agencies, probably their standard terms and conditions will say, um, so long as you pay me what you owe me, then you you get and the, the rights are transferred to you. Yeah. So yeah, that that's the default in most of their terms and conditions. That makes sense. Um, but it's not always the case. And I've, I've certainly encountered um, you know, two or three occasions in the last um, few years <clears throat> where where that's not been the case. And you know, I've had I've had conversations with um, growing businesses who've wanted to take their existing brand collateral um, and use it with a different marketing agency because they've grown, they feel they've outgrown the existing one. And um, yeah, maybe they're moving into the world of uh, I don't know, TV advertising. So it takes a different skill set and they need to need to work with a new skill set. And they want to take their collateral that they've already got and they want it to be sort of turned into a different format and um, be able to kind of build on that reputation, that that kind of brand uh, value that they've already got, but but spread it to a wider audience through different channels. Um, and, and they've started down the path of doing that, but they very quickly found out that actually they haven't got the rights to do it because, because the way the contract was written with the people that have created the brand collateral in the first place um, didn't transfer ownership of those IP assets to them. So basically, basically the, you know, the, the, the first agency um, have a strong hold over you in, in that situation and you're left with the case for, you know, Inevitably, what often happens in those cases is you end up having to pay them more money to, to be able to use the collateral for other other activities. Whereas if you'd been aware of this in the first place, you'd looked at the the contracts that were in place. You could have negotiated that contract in the first instance to make sure that you had control, because that, that, that's what it's all about. I think at the end of the day, it's having control over those IP assets, and um, so that you can you know, ultimately down the line do what you want with them. Um, in, a, in a way that's going to benefit your business and um, and, and allow you to, to make the revenue you want to make. Makes sense, makes sense, makes complete sense to me. And if you've been in one of those situations, listeners, where, you, where you've maybe been, should we say, shafted by a branded agency or whatever it might be, okay, there's only one word that I have for you, which is gutted. Make sure that you read your terms and conditions. That's just the way, that's the only way that I can come to conclusions on that one. But, you know, it is sad. But also, you know, you have to take responsibility at the end of the day. You know, you, we all learn from our mistakes. So we have to make sure that we don't, don't do them again. Make sure you read those little small prints in there. So uh, you make a very good, valid point. I think the, the other, other thing... I mean, the, the, the other thing I was going to add there about this, this whole ownership piece, um, which you know, so, so often gets overlooked, um, and, and, and it's not, you know, I sort of picked a bit on branding agencies there and actually, you know, most of the branding agencies I know and have worked with are, are you know, solid and reputable and they, they oh, will decent. transfer yeah, their yeah. rights. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but you do, you know, you do come across cases or not, but it, but it's not just brand. It is also tech, you know, working with the technology clients I'm working with, you know, particularly when you're starting out, there's often a lot of, you're leaning on a lot of people for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've, you've maybe got, you know, product design agencies involved, you've got, you might even have some input from universities. You might have people contracting for you rather than being employed by you. And, and all of these um, people that are people or businesses that are involved in building your the value, you need to really carefully examine the relationship you've got with them and the, the agreements that manage those relationships to make sure that that, those, that IP is flowing back into the entity you want it to be in, which is your you know, typically your company. And, and, and why is that so important? Well, the, the, at the end of the day, if you're looking for investment, which again, 
you know, ambitious companies, they're always on the lookout for the next of round course. of investment. One of the things, you know, particularly once you get to a, a more serious uh, stage of investment, where you're talking about serious amounts of money being put in, well-advised investors are going to be poking into all of this stuff and they're going to work out quite quickly with the right advice that maybe you don't actually own and have control of some of this stuff. Um, and it's so I, I can think of these ownership issues are often often a bit like a ticking time bomb. Yeah, because I they agree. never actually reveal themselves until the worst possible moment when you're in the middle of due diligence for your round of funding. And then all of a sudden they explode in your face and, and you know, scurry around. Hopefully you can sort them out, but you scurry around, you spend more money, you, you're stressed out. Yeah. You've maybe put off some investors at that point because they think, well, if, if, if this bit's gone wrong, what other ticking time bombs are there hiding? True. True. Whereas actually with a little bit of investment up front at the early stage and just, and just some, I guess more, more, it's more about just awareness and making sure there's, there's this kind of IP ownership thinking in, in your mindset from the early days. You can just avoid these problems yeah, altogether. So here's a question for you, and something that just prompted me to ask you this question. When should a business, whether it be right at the very beginning or whatever it is, because we know the pressures, we know how difficult it is to start up, manage a business. We know that because we're business owners and entrepreneurs ourselves. But at what stage from, you know, whether it be from launch or whatever it is, when should we start protecting our IP? At what stage of the business? It's, well, you'd, you'd probably expect me to say this, but yeah, right, right from day one, ideally. But also, I recognise that you know, particularly for a, you know, a startup business, like like you said, there's lots of the, the to do list is a long one. Of course, it is. Um, and and there'll be other, you know, there will be priorities that that take precedence over the IP. But I think the problem, because IP is one of those things that people don't necessarily understand very well, it's easy just to just keep pushing it down the to-do list and keep pushing it down the to-do list. And it never you know, never arrives at the top. Um, and, and it depends on, you know, the, 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 the potential damage that's done by that depends a lot on the nature of the business. So True. if you're... Um, let, 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 let's take the example of a business there's no kind of real technology it's all about um yeah well co let's let's take you know coaching business for example so yep. tend, the coaching business tends to be about it's kind of it's the training coaching collateral that you're creating and it's the brand around that yeah um what, what can go what you know what can go wrong you might think well <clears throat> the, 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 i guess the most important thing there is the brand side of things and if you're putting a lot of effort into promoting that brand brand and building that brand if you don't have the appropriate trademark protection in place um, and and maybe more importantly if you haven't checked out the the risk side of things because this is the other thing that people forget yes you know it's great having your own ip and it's great putting your own protection in place but you're not the only one doing that you know there's a whole world of people out there that are also doing the same thing and they're doing it right and they're getting their own protection um, and yeah, in many ways, it's much worse. It's much worse for you as a business to invest a lot in building your own brand and then run in, you know, slap bang into a brick wall, brick wall, because you find out someone else has a trademark that you're infringing. Yes, um, and that's you know, it, it's embarrassing. It's the PR. It can be a PR nightmare. Um, it can be expensive in terms of you know, 
dealing with that now legal issue you're facing as well as you know, inevitably or often having to rebrand as a result um so if you're building a you know, if you're building a brand the right time to start thinking about ip is is the point in time where you're thinking about seriously investing in that brand and building the reputation makes sense so you know so as a, as a coaching business when you're starting out you might you might start by kind of building some of the collateral or maybe doing some you know beta testing of programs with some small groups of clients and then you get a bit of momentum and then you think right now we're going for the big push before you go for that big push that's the time to get the brand protection or you know basically check, check you're not going to be infringing anyone else's trademarks and you know be prepared at that stage if you need to to rebrand you know an early stage before you've invested a lot in it you know it's um, interesting i was going to say to you i think one of the reasons why i didn't invest in ip earlier on is probably probably because number one it's uh i think it was down to well there was a couple of reasons i think the first reason that i did invest in ip is number one is you're so focused on generating revenue right you you want you generally if you don't have cash flow then you don't have a business it's as simple as that you need the cash flow right but secondly because intellectual property is not tangible it's not saying that you can touch you know what i mean it's like cryptocurrency you can't touch cryptocurrency or, or there's lots of things that you can't touch and so if you, if it's not tangible it's like well you know and then you start to question the value of intellectual property you know is this really going to help me in the short term it will happen happen definitely on the long term but i think a, a lot of some of us can be very what i call short-sighted especially if we're going through a journey of you know of uh, confusion because i think that a lot of entrepreneurs and startup companies and you'll you'll know about this anyway is that they become very confused about what is what is their what is it that they really want to offer to the world in terms of their key target audience you know that you know and clarity i think is so important because the more clear that you have in your head the more i ideally the more that in terms of clarity in terms of the ip that you want to then register or kind of like protect does that make sense yeah no, absolutely and I, and I think you're right that, that clarity is important and you know at the end of the day the the ip protection is just it, it's just a business tool it's yeah you know, it's something that it's a, it it serves the purpose but it has to serve that purpose in the context of the business as a whole there's no point yeah okay there's there's some cases where the ip is the business and and you know the model is to license that ip and and so the you know so the ip if you like is the product that's generating the revenue directly but in but in most cases for most businesses the ip is just the the tool that you're using to to help um you know help give you that competitive advantage help protect the value yeah. that, that you've created um so so you know you, you can't it's, it's no point throwing money at ip in isolation just thinking yeah i need ip let's get some ip exactly it's, it's all about you know when, when i'm working with a business to, to to help them the starting point is always me understanding the business plan basically what is it you yes. know, why do you why do you exist what is it you're trying to achieve yep. what are your plans going forward because it's only once you understand that that you can then say when you're give, given this is what you, this is what you have now and this is what you're looking to build and this is what you're looking to achieve this is how you can use ip protection as as a tool to help you achieve that yeah um, and 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 any i mean it's, it's obvious isn't it when you say it but 
any any IP strategy really does have to be very closely aligned with the business strategy. Yeah. Um, and I would, you know, I, I think it's one of the reasons why it's it's good to be thinking about IP from the outset because I, you know, I, the, the, a lot of the value in in a business is in the, these days is in its intangible assets. You know, it's not a lot of businesses aren't the value in the business isn't built on the stuff you can touch and see. True. It's built on the intangible stuff, and and yes, again, some quite a lot of that is maybe not what you tr traditionally consider as IP because it tends to be, you know, it's it's the relationships and it's the it's the people and it's you know the thoughts the the the, the minds of those people contributing to the business. But there's yeah. a lot of it that is, you know, it is would fall under the IP, and and if you don't have that kind of IP thinking embedded in the business then that's where things can go wrong quite quickly when you get bigger yeah um, and and people do I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a story which is um it's kind of, it's kind of a sad story and and i won't i won't name any names because it's, it's <laughs> someone i work with but um <clears throat> just an example of of where it can go wrong and i'm going to use trade a trademark example again because you know although a lot of what i do is on the kind of technology side of things which means it's, it's a lot of patents and trade secrets branding Branding's kind of more uh, accessible to everyone, isn't it? Because we all, you know, every, every business has a brand. And Absolutely. You know, actually, yeah. before you share your story, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, before, because what I'd like to do is I'd like to make sure before we go into kind of this worst case scenario thing, <laughs> let's talk about if you were to invest in IP, what's the best case scenario? We're like, what is the best case scenario? And then we can talk about the worst case scenario. Then we can talk about, you know, well, based on what we what we know and what we've got protected, what's the most likely outcome of what we're going to do with our business? Any thoughts there? So, kind of, kind of, as in a, a model, as as in this is what you would ideally do in a in a. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so the, if the, you, the gold standard for IP for a startup. The gold standard, absolutely. Let's go for it. So I guess you know, unless well, let's kind of turn take a bit of a, a, a hypothetical example let's so let's say it's um let, let's let's say it's someone who's developing i don't know a medical device that has a software element to it and a physical element to it um, yep. and and they're going to be you know selling it across multiple marketplaces and um it's going to have a brand associated with it you know because the, they're selling it's, it's B, b2b sales but you, know, you still have a brand don't you um and so I guess you know they they start their journey. They you know they have probably have some clever, really really clever science and thinking behind it. Maybe it spun out of university. So the first thing they'd be doing is making sure that they understand the relationship with the university and who has control of which rights there. And in an ideal world, they'll have taken a transfer of those rights from the university. So you've got this nice little self-contained entity that has the initial, you know, kind of science and and maybe a prototype in it. Um, they then get a, a bit of seed funding to, um, or maybe grant-based funding um, that they use to, to develop that and get it to the point um, where uh, it, it's ready to go to market. Um, and because it's a medical device, there would have been a whole kind of regulatory approval piece involved in there. So this, this can be quite a long time frame you're talking talking about. Yep. Um, and you know, there may have been another round or two of fundraising in, in the process. Um, <clears throat> but what they'd also be looking at in those early days would be making sure that they've got some, you know, one or more patent applications filed that are correct, protecting the the technology innovation aspects of it. Um, they'd be making sure they'd be very careful that if they're using 
um, external um, yeah, suppliers or partners or contractors to help them, which they probably will be. So they're probably working with a product design agency to come up with them, you know, the nice stylish design for this medical device. They're probably working with a software house who write in the code that's going to control the software, uh, the medical device. And um, they'll be making sure that they've got the right agreements in place with all of those companies so that the all, all of the IP and the control of that IP is flowing back to the company. So you've still got this nice one, one entity that, you know, owns all of the IP, has control over it, knows exactly who they're working with and, and has agreements in place with all of them. And they've maybe got, they've probably got a good, <clears throat> um, what, so what, one of the things that trips people up is the record keeping side of this. So yes. having a good, uh, a, a good system for keeping track of, you know, who you're working with, what agreements are in place with them, what IP assets are being generated, what protection you put in place for those. So I, I talk to people a lot about having a, it's kind of an IP asset register is the kind of name I'd give it, but which you know could be something as simple as an Excel spreadsheet, and um, might be something a bit a bit fancier. But <laughs> basically, just just a central repository where you've got all this stuff listed. So that's you know, so that's and and that has a benefit. One, it helps you easily see where there are holes. So if you're keeping a, keeping a track of all these relationships in in a, in a central place, you can very easily see where there's a new a new um, you know, partner that you're starting to engage with and you haven't yet got an agreement in place with them. So that kind of you know, can flag up, right, that's you know, straight on top of the to-do list, get the agreement in place with them. It's also, it, it's a bit like um, you're, you're kind of starting to build the data room that you're going to need when you come to rounds of investment. True. Because investors are going to ask for all this information about your IP portfolio and, and, and about the, the relationships and the agreements you've got with your partners and and employees and contractors and if you've got it all documented centrally it's a really easy job to then provide that information to investors whereas actually what you, you know, in, in practice what you often see is each time you go into an investment round just scurrying around trying to pull together all of that information and so there's you know there's, there's benefits and time and cost savings there as well definitely and um, so then then as you're approaching the market Point, point where you're going to start marketing this um, you probably got some ideas about what you're going to call it and one, one of the other mistakes I think people make is they kind of they they set themselves they fall in love with a name for a product at a really early stage mm. and like their product's going to be called this and they want it to be called this and it actually doesn't it doesn't really, make any sense does it doesn't make any sense or it doesn't <clears throat> you know you become wedded to it you make silly decisions about the risk you're prepared to take to carry on using that name whereas actually the right the right time to look at it is as you're approaching the point where you're going to start marketing that's when you're going to start building the value in a brand so go through a proper process at that point you know, one probably working with the branding agency but you know come up with a come up with a good brand but probably come up with several options do some trademark searching that might rule out two or three of those options straight away because there's you know, competitors or other other businesses on the market that have trademark registrations that are going to cause risk for you if you were to launch with that name. Yeah. Hopefully you find a good name that's not going to um, cause you any problems in terms of infringing other people's rights. Yep. Um, and then you file your trademark applications to protect that brand so you can maintain exclusivity in it. Very good. Um, and then, yeah, and then, yeah, then progressing forward beyond that, you might be looking to expand into other markets. And that's that's another thing that, that can go wrong, which is when people don't necessarily think early enough about 
where their markets are going to be in in five years time and in, in in the patent world it's really important to think about it early because once your product is out there in the public domain it's too late in most countries to then subsequently get patent protection so you need to you know there's mechanisms for meaning yeah you know, that allow you to not file all of your applications on day one um but but basically you need to be thinking about it and have a plan in place um, and similarly for the trademark side of things yep you you know as you expand geographically again you've got the two things you have to address you've got the risk side of things because just because no you know, just because you were risk-free in the uk if that's where you launched yep it doesn't mean that you're going to be risk-free in the US if that's your next big market. True, true. Um, so you need to go through the same process. Let's you know, look, look in the US, see whether there's any issues you're going to face and, and also secure your own protection. And you can do that, you know, stage stage by stage as you expand. Um, but if you know on day one that, you know, your big markets are going to be UK, Europe and US, it makes sense to actually do those checks or at least at a cursory level at the outset because there's no point adopting a brand if your strategy is going to be that you want to have the same brand across all of those markets, then you're better off finding a brand that that lends itself to doing that from the True. outset rather than having to you know, yep. make a catch up later. Very good. Awesome. Very cool. Um, I suppose the other thing that I put on here as well, uh, well, we kind of already touched on it a little bit, which is all about, you know, what, what, what are the IP assets that we need to have in place for investors? Because effectively we were talking about like businesses in this day and age, if you, you, you're building a business to either be sold and acquired, that's generally why we're in business, right? We want to sell it and get it acquired or whatever it is. But how does, um, uh, how does IP make, uh, how, how does IP increase the valuation of a company you know, is, are there some figures there? Uh, and if we don't have those protections in place, you know, or is an investor going to look at, oh, no, it's worth much less now because they haven't got the IP in place. What's, what's your thoughts about that? Have you had any conversations with invent, uh, investors or VCs or angels? Yeah, sure. And it, and it, it, it does depend. It, it depends a bit on the stage of the business. Um, yep. To some degree. But I certainly had, had an interesting um conversation recently i was hearing from an investor who um was saying that particularly for the early stage yeah you know, I, I think we all everyone kind of knows that particularly for early stage companies in, investors are often looking for um they're looking for the market opportunity yeah you know, is there an opportunity to kind of build us build a business that's going to make money um and it does the is the team the right team to be doing that and I think often, yeah, from the conversations I've had, this, they, they're described in slightly different ways, but they're the two themes that come out as the main thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so where does IP fit into that? Well, I think this, this investor that was, that was um, speaking with the other day, one of the really interesting things they said that I'd actually not really thought about before is that they, they almost see the business's approach to IP as a bit of a, um, a barometer on on the management thinking and the management approach and the, yeah. you know, so if, if, if the management are, th are thinking appropriately about their IP and they've got a sensible, you know, for their size of business strategy in place, if, if, if they're doing that, if they're ticking that box, then there's a good chance that they're, 
you know, thinking in the right way about the business as a whole. So it's almost like a, you know, a, a, like I said, it's a barometer. If, if, this, if this is good, then it's a good sign. Even if, even if the investment isn't being made just because there's good IP there. Um, but, and I think more generally, if you think about the role IP plays, it, it, comes, it comes back to um, one of the points I made earlier, which is, you know, I, IP is only as, as good as, it, it, to the extent that it supports the business and the overall business goals. Yeah, and, and the overall business goals are about selling stuff and you know, generally, and they're about selling stuff with a decent margin. Um, and, and from an investment point of view, if you know that the business is going to be able to protect that margin and protect that competitive advantage for a sufficiently long period of time, then you're going to keep your, the, the return on your investment you're looking for. And, and IP is one of the things that can help preserve that, that return on investment because it's at the end of the day, IP is generally, it, it's, it's a negative right. It's, a, it's, it's an ability to stop other people doing something it doesn't give you the right to to do the thing yourself but if you can use your ip as an obstacle to the competition um, then that clearly preserves your market position it preserves your ability to charge a premium price um, and so it it makes it more likely that an investor is going to be able to recoup and, and you make the returns they want to make and um, so that's makes sense. i guess that yeah that's one of the roles one of the roles it plays so um interestingly enough we talked about this earlier steth uh, stethoscopes and rugby balls which i got it right this time by the way <laughs> tell us a, tell us a little bit about your little podcast because i know it's relatively new and stuff like that what was what was the well i mean i'm fascinated about the title tell us more about the title and what, why you created it um so i suppose um yeah what one of the, I mean, this business I'm running now, the Intellectual Property Works, is it's still relatively new itself. So I'm what three, just over three and a half years into this now, um, you know, building on the whatever. It always makes me feel too old, but you know, the twenty-something years of, of <laughs> patent attorney, sort of traditional patent attorney work I did before that, um, and it's all about like the, the the new business is aimed very much about helping. You know, startup and smaller businesses um do ip properly basically you know it's, I, I you know i recognized work, working with a whole range of different businesses over the years and um, quite a lot in the sort of medical technology sports technology space that there's a that there's a, there's a lack of appreciation in the smaller companies to how important ip can be um, and so i'm really keen to to um yeah, engage with those companies and yeah. and help them in a way that gives them a better chance of succeeding so they can yeah so they can go on and, and do the great things in the world that they want to do um and and the podcast i guess was one of the kind of natural progressions um in in terms of pushing my business out there a bit more and trying to spread this message a bit more yeah. um but i also i guess recognize that like a, a podcast that just talked about ip could get quite dull. <laughs> I was thinking about that IP. It's, it's a bit of a dull conversation. I hope you. I, hope um, it's, I mean, I, I obviously find it very exciting, but I, I recognise that you know not everyone does. But but and so I thought, well, let's yeah. How how can I how can I be helpful to to the community of, of smaller businesses that I'm you know, that I want to be working with, that I enjoy yeah. working with, yeah. um, and and that's kind of where um, stethoscopes and rugby balls um, 
was was born from because it's all about so so the, so the podcast the premise of the podcast is all about having conversations with people working so it, it's it's got a bit of a focus on med tech and sports tech hence stethoscopes and rugby balls love it um but it, it's conversations with people that are, have, have lived in that world have, have you know lived, lived and breathed that world um but but from different perspectives so some of the some of the conversations are with with founders and leaders in those businesses in that field talking um about their their journey and kind of building that business and taking product to market um, and yeah, and yes, when I when I can steer the conversation around to it a little bit, a bit about how IP has played a role in that. Um, some of the conversations are with with advisors to businesses in that field. Um, so we had a great uh, a great session that's that's the, the one that's been published so far in this first series with um, a tax specialist and kind of how a bit like the way I talk about in, including IP thinking in your um, yeah from from the outset. Um, yeah, the, the, that discussion was all about how actually if you think about tax from the outset you can avoid a lot of potential problems down the line so you know talking to people that advise small businesses like that because I think they can add a lot of value um, and then also talking um, to people who you, you have and do invest in small businesses in those markets and getting the investor perspective perspective on it and the um, yeah the last the, the last interview in this first series and um, is going to be with with someone with that investment background so that's going to be a, a particularly interesting one i think very cool very good awesome now i know that you've also one of our contributing authors in our book play the game which is very good there you go perfect there, there's his copy <laughs> super super now your title in your chapter is called innovate or die i mean when i read that title <laughs> of that chapter i thought bloody hell I said, if that's not telling you to get your IP sorted, I don't know what is, but tell us a little bit about Innovate or Die. It was, what? yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's catchy, isn't it? I hope. Very catchy. <laughs> um, but but I, think, I think it's so true as well. In this, you know, small businesses in this day and age, if you're not, if you're not innovating, if you're standing still, then I think ultimately you will, you will die. I mean, I think Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, um, sounds sounds hard hitting, but it's true. Yeah, and I, and I guess my my point in and and yeah, and, and the, the motivation behind writing the chapter, um, is that uh, innovation without an understanding of IP is also something that leads leads to problems. And it comes back right to the beginning of this conversation, where if if you're innovating, you're creating IP assets. Yeah, and if you don't have in place the right kind of framework to to make sure that you own those assets and are free to commercialize those assets in the way you want to commercialize them and that you've got the appropriate protection in place or at least preserving the opportunity to get the right protection in place down the line then you're not maximizing the value that you're getting out of that innovation and you're not maximizing the opportunity for you and your investors to to you know, create and grow value in that business yeah very good very true well, listen, um, it's been great to talk to you. I, I know we're coming towards the end of our um, our interview now, but for you guys that are listening in uh, and hope you've been enjoying some of our conversations, uh, you can actually listen, you can actually read more about uh, Stephen and the Intellectual Property Works by getting a copy 
of play the game by the way that not that we've been promoting it or anything on the podcast at all but get yourself a copy of play the game uh it's around it's available all over the world you can get it in all good bookstores on amazon or uh a book depository whatever it is that you prefer to go to or wherever it is but it's available worldwide and uh make sure that you check out and read what steven is talking about in terms of ip it'll give you a, an idea of uh, exactly uh, in terms of intellectual property and knowing how to protect yourself and your assets and stuff like that. So, um, but Stephen, just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Very cool. And guys, make sure you check out, make sure you check out the links below as well. If you reach out to Stephen on LinkedIn or any other means on social media, make sure that you mention this particular podcast as well so that you can click two and two together and uh, go check out stethoscopes and rugby balls. And we'll see you again back here on the Game Changers Audio Experience. Take care and we'll see you soon. Cheers now. Thank you so much for listening into today's show. I hope that you have enjoyed today's show. Just a reminder, we love creating this amazing podcast show. It wouldn't be as successful if it wasn't for you guys. So we want to make sure that we would love it if you would be able to reciprocate and write an amazing, whether it be a one-star or five-star review. If you're listening to this on Apple, go to Apple on iTunes and go to the Game Changers Audio Experience, leave a one or a five-star review, whichever you prefer. If you're listening to this on Android, whether it be on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the good Android platforms, go to podchaser.com, that's podchaser.com, and leave a one or a five-star review on there. We'll be extremely grateful. Thanks very much for tuning in. We've got some great shows coming up. Cheers.